This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Major wildfires are whipping across California right now. The largest is in Northern California, the Kincaid Fire. When the Kincaid Fire just roared through this area the other night, burning the equivalent of a football field in length every three seconds. So far, it's burnt nearly 75,000 acres. And there was fire on both sides of the road. And And forced almost 200,000 people to evacuate their homes. We've seen people already driving away. Their dogs are in the backseat, boxes in the backseat as well, trying to get out because this is an area that's under a mandatory evacuation. And it's still not contained. The Kincaid Fire started underneath a transmission line owned by the power company PG&E. The fire hasn't been definitively attributed to the line, but PG&E said it's continuing to investigate. And this fire comes at an especially difficult time for PG&E customers as the company shuts off power across Northern California. Today on the show, the Kincaid Fire and the new normal in Northern California. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, October 29th. PG&E's aging power lines have caused fires in the past, including a deadly fire in Paradise last year that killed 85 people. To prevent its lines from sparking more fires, PG&E has been shutting off power to millions of homes and businesses in Northern California. The company ramps up these blackouts during particular weather conditions, like high winds. And these outages are having lasting impacts, because they don't just last for a couple of hours. They're days and days at a time. Ian Lovett is a reporter based on the West Coast, and he's been covering the blackouts. Over the weekend, PG&E shut off power. This time, about two and a half million people were in the dark. And oftentimes, like during PG&E's first blackout earlier this month, the people who are losing power get very little notice. PG&E will send out alerts a couple days in advance that there may be a blackout, and it all depends on weather conditions, so they don't really guarantee until almost the moment of. But it's not a perfect system. So, for example, Humboldt County in the far northwest of California thought that they were going to be off the list. But then weather conditions changed and the company decided they did need to cut power to Humboldt as well. And so Humboldt County only got about 12 hours notice. And so it set off a total frenzy up there of people trying to prepare properly for the blackout because all of a sudden they went from thinking they were going to have all their normal services to finding out that the entire county was going to be out of power. And so there was a run on generators, there was a run on batteries, there was a run on sort of certain kinds of food and things at supermarkets. There were lines for gas. The kind of things you see with hurricanes and snowstorms and other natural disasters. Exactly. There's a kind of irony to it because people prepare the exact same way they would prepare for a natural disaster, except the disaster is entirely man-made. It's just that we're so reliant on having electricity and then the electricity is being taken away. 
Ian went to Humboldt County to see what it was like on the ground during this blackout. When I landed in Humboldt County, I drove into Eureka, which is the county seat, and it was actually a really frightening experience. The city was almost completely black. I think I could count on one hand the number of businesses I saw that were open around the entire city, which is home to 30,000 people or so. The streetlights were all out and the traffic lights were out as well. And so people were driving in a really erratic way because you're supposed to, in this situation, treat a traffic light like a four-way stop, but it was dark, and so it was hard to see. And so people would just be sort of cruising up to the light. They might go right through it. They might see someone coming in the other direction and then slam their brakes on. It felt very dangerous, honestly. It must have felt like a sci-fi movie. It did feel a bit like a sci-fi movie. And um, there were a few businesses that were open in Eureka running off generators, and one of them was this restaurant, and there was an hour and a half wait for food. It was absolutely mobbed. There were people hanging around outside. Hundreds of public schools were forced to close. Emergency rooms and police departments relied on backup power supplies, like generators, to stay open. And according to PG&E, 30,000 customers with potentially serious medical issues lost power. And the other thread of frustration I heard was much more about what it meant for people's businesses. So a lot of businesses up there, particularly ones that deal in, in food and have to keep things refrigerated, they are prepared for... Disasters. They're prepared for fires or other events that might knock the power out, but they're not prepared for something that's going to knock power out to the entire northern part of the state. That's something that a woman named Melanie Bettenhausen quickly discovered. She was working as the general manager of a grocery store in Humboldt County called the North Coast Co-op when the first blackout happened. When Melanie initially heard about PG&E's plan to shut off power as a fire prevention method, she thought the North Coast Co-op would be ready. I remember thinking, we're prepared. My family's prepared. The grocery store is prepared. Um, We know how to do power outage. We live in an earthquake-prone area. We live in a wildfire area. So being prepared is just part of living on the far northern coast of California. The North Coast Co-op's locations do have generators, but they're not meant to keep food cold. Refrigeration is a massive power suck. And so each of our stores consumes about $15,000 worth of energy each, each month. And in order to have large enough generators to do that, run the refrigeration, it would take probably half a million dollars, if not a million dollars, to outfit both stores. Right. That just wouldn't work for us. Instead, Melanie usually rents a refrigerated truck for the store's perishable items, like milk, eggs, and frozen food. But remember, PG&E only gave Humboldt County, the place where the stores are, 12 hours notice about the blackout. Melanie tried to find some refrigerated trucks, but she couldn't locate any in the area that would get there in time. So instead, the staff at the grocery store started trying to save what they could by using ice. There are employees bagging dry ice into paper bags, and that's, you know, three or four people. There are employees who are putting packed bags of ice in the open cases, like, you know, those cheese tables? Yep. Like specialty cheese, it's open. Ice bags go in, and then blankets go over. They're moving product from one end of the store to the other. So from the retail floor to the back dock area, move product around. 
And then there are employees who are using caution tape to tape the refrigerated cases off so that customers don't open them. And as all this work was happening in the early morning hours, at the same time, vendors were showing up, trying to drop off more refrigerated products. There's a delivery coming from one of the delivery companies, and they're trying to drop a load of refrigerated product. And I'm saying, no, I can't take this. And the delivery driver says, well, too bad, you have to. And I say, who's your boss? Let me talk to that person. He says, well, I already talked to him. I, I have to drop it here. And I said, I really need to talk to your boss. <laughs> and what did the boss say? He said, yes, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> we had a local vendor who sells tofu. He makes himself tofu come through even before it was light out, even before our doors are open. And he says, can you take my product today? I don't have a generator. I can't refrigerate my product and I'm going to lose it all. And I had to stand there and say, I, I cannot help you. I'm so sorry. It's going to go bad here too. I mean, he was clearly in shock because this was going to devastate him. That was just a small part of what would go to waste during the blackout. How it went when Melanie opened the grocery store doors after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Welcome back. The North Coast Co-op decided to mark down all perishable items by 50% to get the products out of the store quickly and reduce its losses. At 6 a.m., five hours after the power officially went out, Melanie opened the door to customers. What were the customers saying as they came into and out of your store that day? Boy, I don't know how to describe what it was like. The stores were, you could barely squeeze through. There were lines down every aisle, but people were so calm and so nice to each other. We had a line out the door for coffee. One of our employees had the brilliant idea of boiling water and hand pouring it through the drip coffee maker. So we were one of the only places to have coffee available. So really people were grateful. When I was... A teenager and working at a restaurant, the power went out. And the owner of the restaurant sat down in front of the ice cream cooler. <laughs> and he was just started dishing out the ice cream to all of us. So I have to ask you, what happened to the ice cream? <laughs> well, we sold a lot of it at 50% off, but people didn't have a place to store it at home. Uh, so mostly the ice cream perished. Uh, and went into the dumpster. Oh. Uh, we did manage to get some food to employees. We, we had to be really careful because giving 
perishable food that the health department deems not edible to employees as a liability. Sure. And it was a difficult conversation to have because why aren't you just giving this to employees or why aren't you just giving this out for free? And the answer is because the health department showed up and said, no, you can't. We lost more than $85,000 worth of product. And that was at wholesale, not retail. And that was with us making the decision to keep our doors open, mark down all the perishables to 50% and move out as much as we possibly could. And and this blackout is just one of many that PG&E says will happen over the course of the next few years. How does this make you feel when it comes to the grocery business? I don't know how it can be sustained financially. The insurance company is going to reimburse for the last blackout. But there's, you know, word that insurance companies are going to start rejecting this. And the more notice that PG&E gives, the less likely an insurance company is going to cover it. We were able to pull it off the last time, uh, honestly, by some real quick thinking by the folks who run the show at the grocery store. But in this case, if the insurance isn't going to cover it, or if they decide, okay, uh, we're going to push it all out at 50% again, we're not making any margin on the product with which to pay the people that we had there to push the product out the door. So it's a losing business. And if it's going to be regular, I mean, this is what, a few weeks since the last one? If this is going to be every few weeks, we don't know. It's Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just not sustainable, especially for a business of our size and for the grocery industry in general. We're not making a lot of money in the grocery industry, especially in a cooperative. You know, that's not our goal. We're not trying to pay shareholders. We're just making enough profit to keep the business going. The indirect impact of the wildfire situation and the PG&E shutoff could create just as devastating a situation as an actual fire. So the economy could come to a screeching halt if businesses are failing due to the losses from the power outages. And so that is really concerning. And how many communities will that happen to? And what happens when they start one by one to not be able to function anymore as communities? Humboldt County's power was again shut off over the weekend. This time, the co-op was able to get refrigerated trucks to safely store things like eggs, milk, and cheese. For some people in Humboldt County, power came back for a few hours, right before the next scheduled blackout began early this morning. And for Melanie, this new added stress of no power is making her reconsider where she lives. In a text message, she told us that she's thinking about leaving California and said, I was willing to take my chances on the sporadic, unpredictable nature of fires, earthquakes, and tsunamis. Knowing I will have to deal with the blackouts every fire season is not appealing. PG&E has said that these blackouts to prevent fires could continue for a decade. And the frustration about them and the company that's causing them is something that a lot of people are feeling, according to our reporter, Ian. There is a lot of anger at PG&E. There is a lot of frustration that they didn't maintain the equipment as well as 
people feel like they should have and that now this is what's necessary to make sure there's not another deadly fire. You know, everyone in this region has lived through fires. A lot of people know people who have lost their homes. So there is a lot of sympathy for the company trying to do what it has to do to prevent more fires. But at the same time, I think they're aware that there's going to be a lot of devastation of a different kind if there are just blackouts all the time. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's a tough situation. Exactly. Exactly. That's how a lot of people feel. I mean, how long do you think people can live like this? I think there may be some number of people who leave California, but I don't think this is going to drive masses away. I think for the most part, people are already adjusting to it. And this is just going to be a new normal to a certain extent, especially in Northern California. And that's crazy to say that in the 21st century, we're going to have large swaths of the richest state in the richest country in the world that just are not going to have electricity on a reliable basis. But I think realistically, that's what we're looking at. And that's what people are preparing for. That's all for today, Tuesday, October 29th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Russell Gold for his help on this episode. If you're not yet subscribed to the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.